Would you open God's precious holy word to Deuteronomy 2? We're going to start with verse 24 and go into chapter 3 and verse 11. Really, there's a better title to this message. It's just God's battle. Uh, he, he doesn't really, I want to say this right. I mean, he, he helps, but he's not, he's in charge. You know, he's, he's, he's the one running the show. Moses is still recounting for this new generation and reminding them, recounting all that the previous generation had gone through lessons to be learned fighting battles that God actually leads us into that happens. I can tell you. So here is a lesson. The victory is won before the battle starts. All right, let's look at this uh, beginning verse 24 seize the victory. God speaking to his people, Moses reminding them, get up, journey, cross the river Arnon. Behold, I have delivered into your hand Sihon, the Amorite, king of the Heshbon, and his land. Begin to possess it and provoke him to war. You see that? Provoke him to war. Poke the bear. It's okay, I'm, we're gonna make a lesson out of him for everybody in Canaan. Now this is in Canaan. Where were the Amorites? The Amorites were in a mountainous region of Syria today. They were Canaanites, uh, descendants of Canaan, descendants of Ham. They had that part of the land of promise uh, in Canaan. They were then the Amorites. Today I will begin to put the dread of you and the fear of you upon the nations that are under the entire heaven who will hear reports of you and shake and be in trepidation because of you. God prepares the way. Many times in the Old Testament, it is recorded how God melted the hearts of the enemies of Israel. Gideon, for example, took his 300. He was vastly outnumbered, but God melted their hearts. Gideon snuck down and was with a guy and they were listening to what the enemy was saying about them. They were just in the bushes over there, said, we gotta get some intel, you know, let's hear what these guys are saying. And they were talking about Gideon. They were talking about the might of Yahweh. They were already scared. They, they already had, had lost that war before they had ever gotten onto the battlefield, even though every physical advantage imaginable belonged to them. Yet Gideon won the war. Abram with his 318 trained servants back when Lot was captured by Keterleomer and those four kingdom states. 
And Abram took 318 trained servants. Now think of this, four, four kingdom states, four armies allied to take over the whole area of the plains. You know, Goim, Sodom, Gomorrah, and so forth. And they, they lit some lanterns and they, they did. They were, you know, Hebrews have always been good when it came to defensive fightings. I heard something today, and you can see this in the history of Israel, really. The question arises when, for, was it Yemen that just declared war on Israel? Was it Yemen, I think, Yemen? And they've lobbed a few rockets at Israel. The question was asked, and a rabbi was one that was sitting on the panel. The question was asked, Israel has this military might. Why don't they just go stomp Yemen? They have more than Iran, why don't they just go and take care of Iran? But here was the reply. Israel has no expeditionary force. They didn't build their military to extend their power. They don't do that. That's not what they're about. They just build their military to keep somebody else from extending their power into Israel. That's how they build their uh, military. It was, in, it was against the backdrop of me thinking about all that they have been through here. It wasn't their intent to do anything other than to occupy the land that God had promised them. They were a mighty force. I mean, there were millions of them. They walked, they marched across the Jordan River and into the land of Canaan. God was melting the hearts of the enemy and uh, the, the, the soldiers, the army of Israel, they were fearless and all they had to do was obey Yahweh. God was winning the battle for them and this is what they knew. They were prepared to do exactly what God was leading them to do. But anytime this is going, we're going to see what I'm talking about. We've already seen it. Anytime in this study on Deuteronomy, anytime some of the people, because they seem to be such a great army at this point in time, and they were already prepared for war, you know, why not go ahead and do it? We're all ready and, and uh, we're, we, we're, we're armored up and organized and we hadn't lost a war yet. So let's just, why don't we go on over here and do this? And you remember, remember last time the Lord said, well, I didn't tell you to do that. If you do that, you're going to lose. They did it. They lost because the Lord wasn't in it. That's how, that's not how God had designed them and their army to fight. At this point in time, they were designated to take the land of Canaan, but not any further than that land of Canaan. If you, perhaps you have become familiar with the map of that part of the world these days. Mediterranean Sea, here, Gaza Strip, little strip here, and then here's little Israel, about the size of New Jersey, right here, 
And then over here is this west bank uh, that comes right up to Jerusalem. And then there is Syria, Lebanon, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Iran, and you go on up from Iraq and you reach the southern regions of Turkey here. Now, here's what God promised them. And they've never, they have never filled the boundaries of the promised land. That's what the Messiah does in the millennium. From the Mediterranean Sea to the Euphrates River. So that would be a large swath of Iraq. To go across at the bottom boundary, it would go from that river across and take half of Saudi Arabia all the way over to the Mediterranean. It would also take a portion, a goodly portion of modern day Egypt below the Sinai Peninsula and so forth. And the Mediterranean would be their coast. Then it goes up and it includes all of Lebanon, all of Syria, most of Iraq, half of Saudi Arabia, moving all the way up to a, to a little portion of Turkey. All of that is the promised land. That belongs to Israel. Doesn't belong to anybody. God wrote the deed and signed it. In, in the, but they've never, because, and we, we saw it in Joshua, they, they begin to get lack, lack of day. They, they just were lax in what God had sent them in there to do. And they didn't complete the job. And it comes back, of course, to haunt them. Um, here, they're going in with an army just designed, and God is directing them, just designed to take the promised land. Nothing else. This is what you're going to do. Nothing else. So God will fight that war. God will fight that battle. God's already there. The victory uh, is yours. So seize the victory. In other words, do what God tells you. Follow the unction of God. And God would prepare the way. I'm putting the dread of you and the fear of you into the nations that are under the entire heaven. Now let me project that forward because maybe you're not that interested. I'm, I'm very interested in what's going on in the Middle East. It's, it's probably going to come over here where I live somewhere, you know. But the word of God is telling us because of the, the Hebrew phrase in the uttermost latter days, and this is Ezekiel 38 and 39, so therefore you understand that what God describes through Ezekiel and Ezekiel 38 and 39, the war of Gog and Magog and Persia and Togamah and all that, it is a time at the uttermost end. So it's when the, it's when the sands of time are running out before the kingdom is introduced into the world and, and the world becomes the kingdom of our Lord. At that point in time, at the uttermost, uh, at the uttermost end of time, it speaks of the nation of Israel. Now, you know, <laughs> when Ezekiel was inspired to write it, the nation of Israel had been lost. They're, they're literally, by the time you get to the end of Ezekiel, there literally is no Israel and was no Israel as a land, as a, as a place. 
there was no Israel for hundreds of years. So it has to be a time when Israel is a nation among nations and toward the end of, of uh, toward the uttermost uh, latter days. And these nations will gather to come against Israel in that day and they won't be able to help themselves because the Bible says in Ezekiel that God will put hooks in their jaws and draw them upon Israel. They can't help it. It's going to happen. Probably not too far in the future. That's my belief. We'll wait and see. Um, but it also describes how it is utter failure. These nations are so, this confederation of nations, nations so powerful. It, you know, you would think, well, this is, this is a no brainer. Israel is lost. This is it. And then suddenly God moves, part of it's an earthquake, but God moves in a powerful way and five out of every six of the invading army die. And God stops it and Israel wins the victory. Now you go over to Daniel and you take this, you take this in its time frame, the uttermost end, latter days. And the Antichrist rises because apparently the influence of Arab nations is destroyed in this war of Gog, Magog, and so forth coming against Israel. The, the, the Arab nations, the power of the Arab nations will be destroyed. They will lose. They will, many of them will die. But they will lose this. And Israel now becomes a nation that has to be dealt with. And so what is the introduction of the Antichrist in the Bible? He rushes to Israel, apparently, after Israel has been divinely delivered from this horrific failed invasion. And he rushes to Israel with a peace plan, seven-year peace plan. And in that peace plan, the nations agree that Israel can rebuild their temple. They can build their temple. So the temple mount won't be an issue anymore, all that all that'll be done with. That's, that's, that's what uh, the Bible says. And all of the nations have to deal with it. And then Zechariah talks about how Jerusalem, God makes Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness. Nations who try to drink from that cup, and every nation does, even our own. If they don't do it right, they get drunk. Um, and they will try to carry Jerusalem, but it's too heavy. And the Hebrew describes how they rupture themselves trying to lift a stone that is too heavy. That's how God describes Jerusalem and Zechariah. Point is this. It's always been among the nations that God has a plan. He has a plan here. Now they are about to go in and take the land and establish Israel as a nation. And one of the, one of the, one of the armies they're going to have to deal with, Amorites uh, and, uh, and others as well. But God says, it's yours. I'm giving it to you. They're not going to have a heart for the fight. 
They'll shake in fear because of you. It's yours. Go on in and take it. The word of God, of course, never fails in anything. But the easiest, the easiest observation of the unfailing word of God is to respond to God's invitation to see how, when, and where he deals with Israel. People always trying to destroy Israel. God said way back, that'll never happen. Matter of fact, the promise will be given in Deuteronomy. In a few weeks, we'll see that God, God talks about how they are established uh, and that God sets the times and the boundaries and so forth. So God gives them the victory and he prepares the way for them to move right into that victory. Now let's look at this peace terms to those who are destined for destruction. Now this is, this is where I said, you know, men can get in the way of themselves. We always do. We just need to just trust God. Just believe his word. You know, you may, you, sometimes you have to sit down and say, you know, this sounds crazy, but I'm going to have to buy into it because I've tried my way. It didn't work very well. So here it is. Moses telling the, this younger generation, Moses said, so I sent messengers. Now God just told him to go in there because I've prepared for you to defeat this king and this nation in Canaan. So I sent messengers from the desert of Kedemot to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, with words of peace. See, he's not doing what he's told to do. Allow me to pass through your land. I will go along by the highway. I will turn neither to the right nor to the left. You shall sell me food for our money. We'll pay you uh, uh, that I may eat. Give me some water for money that I may drink. And I'll only pass through by my feet. Not going to make a mess. We'll clean up any mess that we make. Pay for everything. Just as the sons of Esau who dwell in Seir and the Moabites who dwell in Ar did for me until I crossed the Jordan to the land which Yahweh, Yahweh our God is giving to us. Now this is not what God said. But Sihon the king of Heshbon did not wish to let us pass by him. Notice this. For Yahweh our God caused his spirit, his heart to be hardened, his heart to be obstinate in order that he would give him into your hand as this day. God had a plan for these people. The peace plan of Moses is proposing is going to mess it up. And God is saying, no, 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 I want, you to, I want you to stomp on them. I want you to go in there and whoop them so that all these other nations will see that you mean business. And God is essentially saying, I will be glorified in this. So you go on in and I've given you the victory. You seize the victory. I've prepared the way. You walk right into it. Moses tries to be a man, I guess, of peace. Moses had a United Nations moment there, you know. In the name of peace, he was all wrong. So God says, okay, all right. If, if you're going to act that way, Moses, I'm going to turn this king into a, an irritated jerk. And you're going to have to deal with him then because you're headed from here to here and you got to deal with him before you get there from here 
So I'm going to harden his heart, make him obstinate in order that he would give him into your hand as this day. It happened so that God would give the Amorites, this king, uh, he would be given into the hands of the Israelites. This is God's way. The battle that completes the victories. Look at this now. Once more, God says, begin to take possession of the promised land. Yahweh said to me, behold, I've begun to deliver Sihon and his land before you. Begin to drive him out that you may inherit his land. I've given this land to you. These, we've gone over this before, but the reason God will use Israel to displace these Canaanites is because the Canaanites had become utterly wicked. They were totally and completely sold out to darkness. So God will use the Israelites freshly armed with the law of Moses and with the way of God and the, and the pattern of the tabernacle, God will use them in the righteousness that God has imputed to them to take care of spiritual darkness and evil. And so these people then will displace and, all, and at the same time, God will make it so that they will enter into the land of promise that he had promised to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. God working this thing out for centuries. Always, today, all, it's, it's at work today. It's at work today, right now, in the Gaza Strip. It's at work today on the West Bank. It's at work today in the minds of Russians and Turkish people and Iranians. It's, it's at work. So, may I digress? I've seen the reports from the people well, second hand, the people gave the report who were there to these guys who reported it. You heard the story, I'm sure. Here is a little family, an Israelite family, decent folks, living at peace. And these people come into their home suddenly and they have a little baby and there's an older child the baby is wrestled from the arms of the mother. They turn on the oven in the, sto of the stove in, the, in the, the oven in the kitchen and throw that baby, baby in that stove and make the parents watch. And then they ravish the mother in front of the father slash husband and the other child and then shoot them all. This is utter savagery. It is utter wickedness. May I say to you, God has no problem with raising up his people and dispensing of those people. They have long since sent away their day of grace. To have such, Golda Meir said this, we will only have peace in the Middle East when the Arabs love their children more than they hate the Jews. Think about that. They don't love their children. They're just doing this savage stuff. I've, that's just one instance. I've been reading about this stuff for a long time. So 
go back then to this time, and these really are the same people. I mean, you know, they're savages. You go to Leviticus, and God warns them, here's what you're going to face when you get there in Canaan. And you may not, you must not, you shall not do these things. And, and so this list in Leviticus, this, this list of horrible behavior goes all the way down to where uh, it, ends with the, it ends with bestiality. I'm going to kill you. You have just sinned away your day of grace. Okay. I don't like wasties, <laughs> as my mother used to say. Um, now, these people were steeped. I mean, they're okay. They're, they, they offer their children in sacrifice. Well, I could go on and on, but you understand. So God is raising up his people to displace those people and punish them for their sins. This same, for whatever reason, this same darkness against Israel has gone through generations and generations and generations. And there was nothing wrong with raising up armies in World War II to stop the savagery that was, that was being done, especially against the Jews. This has been God's design. Now God is using Israel here to go in he delivered, Yahweh, our God delivered him to us. We smote him and his sons and all of his people. See back up here. I've given you, I've delivered Sihon and, and his land before you. So go begin to drive him out. Sihon went forth towards us. He and all of his people to war at Jahazah. Yahweh, our God delivered him to us. He came right to us and we killed him. We smote him and his sons and all of his people. God brought the war on for these reasons. Number one, these people were horribly savage people and had really sinned away any claim they had to be among the nations because of their savagery, their brutal darkness in which they lived. That's, that's, that's one thing. Uh, another thing is that God would show the world his might and power through Israel. Now Israel, and we saw this in another book that we're studying, Israel had been raised up to be a priesthood to the nations. Now they lost that by the time of Christ. They are, they are so inward that they hate everybody else but themselves. Of course, Christ came to preach against that and it's been settled by the death of Christ. But God is moving through Israel not only to fulfill a promise, a covenant that he's made to them, but also in using them to judge a wicked land filled with wicked people. They don't have a choice. God hardened his heart Sihon, he ignores, he ignores the, the uh, appeal to peace and he just starts marching to war. So they have to go to war against him. And Yahweh 
our God delivered him to us. God gives the victory, especially in our obedience. I mean, we obey. Now, next lesson is a lesson to teach this generation of total destruction. We conquered all of his cities at that time and utterly destroyed every city. Men, women, young children. We left no survivor. Boy, that sounds horrible, doesn't it? Let me tell you, that wouldn't fly in the media today, would it? But God knows all things. You cannot, you cannot question the absolute sovereignty of God. Let me go back to the time when Saul was told to kill the Agagites, including the king, Agag the king. Oh, I'll do it, I'll do it. He goes in there and he kills them all, but he left the king alive because he wanted to put him on display. Saul wanted to show the people what a great conqueror he was. You may remember, Samuel says, did you do what I told you to do, what Yahweh said that you were to do about killing them all? Well, sure did. Well, what is this bleating of sheep that I hear? Where did this come from? And then there was that king. Saul took a sword out and ran it through that king and killed him. But you know what? Sometime before he died, Agag had impregnated a woman and that descendancy, that, that, that works its way all the way to the time of Esther. So that Haman, uh, the, the, so that the Agagites were there to try and destroy, absolutely destroy every Jew that lived. And he tricked the king into giving an edict so that, so that all the Jews would be wiped out and Esther had to go and appeal. She was made to be queen for such a time as this, it was said. And so another plan had to be made so that the Jews could defend themselves. Well, here, here, here again is the point. Saul had been told to kill them all, but he didn't. And look what almost happened. See, God knows these things. So... Only the cattle we took for a prey unto ourselves with the spoil of the cities which we had taken. Now, there wasn't anything too tough for them. No city too high. From our air, which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon, from the city that is in the valley, even to Gilead, there was not a city too high for us. Yahweh, our God, delivered up all before us. There wasn't anything too tough. No wall was too thick. No warrior was too strong. No giant was too tall. We took them all. God gave them to us. Only to the land of the sons of Ammon, you came not near. All the side of the river, Yabach, and the cities of the hill country and wherever Yahweh our God commanded us. Now, the Ammonites, Moabites and Ammonites, they were descendants of Lot. That's Jordan today, the little nation of Jordan. As a matter of fact, what's the title? What's the name of their capital city? Ammon. So they weren't to fool with this. This is not something on this particular part of the plan. Now God brings them to a repeat victory. The lessons continue with this younger uh, generation. One victory will encourage us to go for the next one.
So then we turned and went up the way of Bashan, and Og, the king of Bashan, came forth toward us, he and all of his people, to, to war against us at Edrei. Now this guy, these people, were Rephaim. They were giants. They were big people. They were big, tough, tall, strong people. Yahweh said to me, don't be afraid of him, for I've given him to you, all of his people, his land into your hand. You shall do to him as you did to Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon. Yahweh, our God, delivered into our hands also Og, the king of Bashan, and all of his people. And we smote him until no remnant remained of him. And we conquered all of his cities at that time. And there was not a town that we did not take from them, 60 cities. All the territory of Agob and the kingdom of Og and Bashan. Now these were Canaanites. All these cities were fortified with high walls, double doors, bolts, in addition to a great many unwalled cities. We utterly destroyed them. This is Moses telling the younger people. As we did to Sahan, the king of Heshbon, utterly destroying every city, the men, the women, the young children, but all the beasts and the spoils of the cities, we took as spoil for ourselves. Again, Israel is getting a fresh start. They are not going to have to worry about any Canaanites. They won't have to fight the same war over and over again. A good friend of mine in college was on the, he was older than me, but he talked about having served in Vietnam. And he said that the, the terrible thing about it was we would take a hill and there were a number, you know, hill number, whatever. We would take a hill and then we would be ordered to give it over to the South Vietnamese. We would withdraw from the hill and within two weeks we had to go take the same hill all over again because the South Vietnamese just didn't have the heart to hold on to it. And we had to, some of our people had to die for doing the same thing Again, well, it sort of it, it sort of takes us back here in, in another sense. In, in dealing completely with every generation of Canaanites, you're not going to have to take the same hill again. They're going to be dealt with all completely and now. They kept the beasts, the spoils of the cities, and we took the spoils for ourselves. So details are always important. We study the word of God. Our Lord Christ said, not, not one jot nor tittle. A jot is a, is, a, is a yod. Yod, that's a Hebrew letter. It's a slight stroke of the pen that almost looks like a, an apostrophe. It's up at the top. And... If it stands alone, you, it, it's a Y pronunciation. If it has a dot with it, it's an E. It's a short I, I guess, a short I. Jesus said, not the slightest stroke of the pen will be lost. So the details of the word of God are extraordinarily important. They are to me. Every detail of every word, every, every syllable. Now here... At that time, we took, the land, we took the land out of the hands of the two kings of the Amorites who were on that side of the Jordan from the brook of Arnon to Mount Hermon. 
The Sidonians called, called Hermon Syrian. The Amorites called it Sanir. All the cities of the plain, all of Gilead, all of Bashan, Salchach, and Edrei, cities of the kingdom of Og in Bashan. Here's the end of the line. For only Og, the king of Bashan, was left from the remnant of the Rephaim. That's those great big guys, tall, big guys. Look how big his bed was. His bedstead was a bedstead of iron. Is it not in Rabbah, the sons of Ammon? Nine cubits was its length. Goliath was nine cubits in a span, I think. It was nine cubits long, four cubits its breadth, according to the cubit of a man. So it was a huge bed. I had a friend named Ed. He had a paper route. From time to time, I would go with him and ride with him on his paper route. There was a man who had retired from owning a grocery store, and he lived over there in one of those little neighborhoods. And Ed knew the guy. He was good friends with him. He said, this is Mr. Herman. He said, you ever seen Mr. Herman? I said, no, I never have. He said, he's about the fattest man you'll ever see. I said, really? He said, yeah, he's fat, man, he's big. But he said, you know, he said, he lets me go in his house all the time. He said, come on, I want to show you his commode. I said, put my bias. I said, okay, let me see his. Man, this commode was like, you know, a normal person would have just lost himself in that commode. When I read this about the bed of this king, I thought of that commode, Brother Herman's commode there. This was a significantly large piece of furniture right here to tell you how big this guy was. Raphim, he's one of the giants. He was left from the remnant of the Raphim. That's how big his bed was. And he was the end of the line of those heroic people of that particular nation. We're going to stop there. And we'll pick up there, God willing, next time. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your sovereign hand that has a purpose, that is leading us infallibly to the great kingdom, to our wonderful home. Lord, we praise your name for how you have worked out every single little detail for us. And in that, we give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.